All right, so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 32 today. Uh, I mean, Exodus 32. As you grow up, uh, I was thinking about uh, dads and, and childhood and this kind of stuff a little bit. So um, as you turn to Exodus 32, I want to share a little bit uh, of a glimpse of my childhood. I grew up on a farm. Uh, it was on 14 acres, and so we had hay on the farm. And so the first job that I can remember having uh, was to be probably older elementary, maybe younger middle school kid. I, was, I would drive a tractor through the fields. Um, and older kids, high school kids, college kids that my dad hired would, would throw square bales of hay on the tractor, on, on the trailer that I was pulling as I drove the tractor. Um, it was hot. Um, I was young. I was getting to drive. It was amazing. But all I wanted was these older guys' job. Like, all I wanted was the high school kids' job. It just looked so cool. They were, you know, throwing bales of hay. They were laughing as they went along and this kind of stuff. And I just wanted to be them, um, like to the point where I noticed one time uh, that their, their jeans were ripped, you know, from, from working hard. Um, and so during a lunch break, I ran inside, ran upstairs, got some scissors. I had a brand new pair of jeans from like the, the VF factory outlet in Mineral Wells. That's where we went twice a year for our clothes. Um, got my pair of jeans and just cut across, cut across the brand new pair of jeans right at the knee. Um, so very obvious that it was a very freshly cut, perfectly straight line. And my mom noticed it, and she's like, what's going on? I was like, ah, just the hard work out there, you know? It just, it's, <laughs> gotta, it just happens sometimes. Um, all I wanted was, was these guys' job. And then one like, glorious year, I was finally old enough where my younger sister got to drive the tractor, and I got to be with the older guys throwing square bales of hay onto the trailer. And you know what? That is a terrible job. <laughs> like, it is just awful. It, it is so hot, and those bales, they're like 40 to 60 pounds, and like scratchy. I mean, just no matter how many layers you wear, it was the worst. Um, but it's all I had wanted. And, and the clincher is that for years, my dad had told me when I was driving the tractor, and I'd be like, oh, I just want to be out there with the... For years, my dad had said, you have the best job. You don't want to do what they're doing. And all the time, I was like, nope, no, 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 no. But my dad knew best. And if you've read ahead to these chapters, Exodus 32 through 34, uh, it's easy to see why, why I shared that story. Because where we, where we drop into the book of Exodus is that Moses is up on the mountain. He's meeting with God. He's receiving the Ten Commandments which is to say God tells his people what's best. That's what the Ten Commandments are. The last like 10, 15 chapters of Exodus where God has given the law and, and talked about the priesthood and the tabernacle, like this is God saying, hey, kind of constitution, bill of rights for the nation of Israel. This is how life will go best for you. Here's what worship looks like. Here's what obedience looks like. Here's what civil, civil uh, uh, relationships looks like and this kind of stuff. Here's what worshiping me looks like. That's what we've seen for the last 10, 15 chapters is God saying, I know what's best. But what we see in today's chapters is that even while Moses is up with God, giving, receiving, excuse me, the, the Ten Commandments, what are God's people doing? They're breaking the Ten Commandments. Even as Moses is receiving them, they are in the midst of breaking the law. Just like they have been kind of throughout the wilderness wandering ever since God saved them from Egypt, Israel's rejecting God's way. They're saying, I want something different. And, and just like me as a kid, that something different let them down. 
And so today's chapters are really a question of worship. So this will be on the screen. This is, this is kind of what we're going to see today. Who are we going to worship? What is it that we're going to worship? Because as we walk through this, what we see is that God alone is worthy of our worship. God alone is worthy of our worship. That's not like a shocking claim today, but we'll see how true this is in the scriptures. We'll also see uh, how rejecting God leads to death. And yet, because of God's grace, he sends a mediator who's able to restore life. So that's where we're headed in Exodus 32 through 34. So I'm just going to pray quickly, God, would you be our teacher and our guide? Um, Would you wake us up to even see less obvious idols than the idol we'll see in this chapter? And God, would you remind us of both the death that comes from false worship and the life that comes through Christ Jesus? It's in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, a lot to cover, so we're just going to dive straight in. The first thing, again, that we're going to see is that God alone is worthy of worship, okay? Now, worship's one of those terms that is used a lot. It's not often defined. It's one of those dangerous things where, like, oh, yeah, worship this, worship songs, worship that, worship. And you're like, well, what is worship? And you're like, ah, oh, I don't know sometimes. It's kind of this deer-in-a-headlights look. So, so just for the, the blanket statement, kind of least common denominator, worship, you may have heard this, is declaring the worth of something. Worship is, is declaring the worth of something or someone. So like if you get a good like Father's Day steak after this, like that, that visceral like mm, that just kind of happens at your first bite of a really good steak, like that's, that's declaring the worth of something. I just got really hungry <laughs> as I said that. I'm picturing it. It's going to happen. Um, whenever, whenever we can't stop talking about some band or some political party or some person or some team, like we're declaring the worth of that thing. But God alone is worthy of our worship. So, so let's talk for a minute. There's, there's uh, enough of us in the room where everybody could share. So you're on the spot right now. Um, what's a way that God has shown us his worth through Exodus? What do you recall? We've been walking through Exodus for, for four or five months now. What do you recall about his character? What's, what's something he's done for his glory or for the good of his people? What's what are some ways he's declared himself worthy by his words, deed, actions? What's God done? Yeah, he heard their cries when they were suffering. He knew them, he, he heard them, and he answered. What else? Yeah, he's demonstrated his power. And man, he's done so over and over again in like gentle reminding ways and then in, hey, let me show you what I can do against the false gods of Egypt kind of ways. It's good. What else? We've already seen him forgive his people as they've walked away. Anything else come to mind? He saved his folks from Egypt. Right? God is good. God is worthy. God is God. And yet... How quickly Israel, just like us, will forget this truth. So this is Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. It'll be on the screen. Moses is up on the mountain. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses... Not just you read the disdain in there. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. 
Uh, let's, let's just pause there. All it takes for God's people to reject God as the one who is worthy of worship is like a little delay. Moses is up on the mountains for 40 days. It, for us, that would be like an eternity. But, but, but they didn't have cars. They didn't have microwaves. Like 40 days is, is, is in the grand scheme of someone's life at the time. Like you would go on a journey even we went to the stockyards yesterday and heard about cattle drives and they would take 90 days to get cattle up to Kansas and then get home. Like, like our concept of time says immediate, 40 days was not that long and yet all it took was a small delay for God's people to go, nope, this God doesn't meet my needs on my terms. And we can look at Israel and go, oh gosh, how could they? But, but y'all, don't we do something similar all the time? God, you say you're good, but then this happens to me. God, you say you're in control, but look at the evil and suffering in the world and on and on, whether big or personal, you're not good enough, you're not clear enough, you're not whatever enough. And so I'll find something that I think is better. And I'll put my allegiance, I'll put my hope in that. We do that. Whenever we declare the glories of other things or, or whenever, whenever we put our hope in other people, we do an echo of what we see Israel doing here. And if we're honest, maybe this is just me, but, but, but I think if we're honest, all it takes for us to reject God is something small and similar to a little bit of a delay or to him not quite meeting us on the terms we wanted him to. And so Israel immediately finds something else to worship. Let's look at the next verse. Aaron said to them, Exodus 32, 2, Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ear, the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then he received the gold from their hand and Aaron fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel. These are the ones who brought you out of Egypt. And it continues, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And play there has some kind of dark connotations. So if God's not fast enough, if God's not good enough, if God's not clear enough, if God's not something enough, I'll just create a God who is. That's what Israel's doing. And again, don't we do this? Instead of remembering God, remembering his character, or, or even, even instead of attributing to God the work that is done by him and him alone, Israel attributes God's work to a false and lesser being. These are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. No, it's not. No, it's not. But this is what we do every time we look to politics to save us. This is what we do every time we think that someone is healed by human power or human effort. This is what we do every time we find our identity or our hope in a spouse or a boss or a job or whatever else. When we put something or someone in a place that only God deserves to be in, we join Israel in worshiping an idol and in bowing down before a false god. And what's the problem with that? It's that only God is worthy of our worship. 
in the very next verse, God tells Moses, go down. In verse 10, he says, so that my wrath can burn hot against Israel, so that I can consume them. And Moses asks God to remember his covenant, remember his promise, and we'll see that God does that. But both Moses and even more so God are righteously angry at Israel's sin. Again, I know I've said this, but I gotta say it again. Remember what's happening. God is literally giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Anyone remember what the first two of the Ten Commandments are? Don't have any gods before me. Don't make yourself any graven images. And as God is giving Moses these commandments, God's people are literally worshiping another God and making a graven image to do so. And so look what Moses just does in, in verse 20. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Now that's a lot of wealth that is going to literal waste. And, and there's even some kind of dark humor in this because if you pay attention, what is Moses turning their God into? Excrement for lack of a better, stronger word. He's saying your God is excrement. That's the worth that this thing is. Gold that's supposed to be precious and good, you, you haven't stewarded it well. You've worshiped this thing. And you've said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt, but, but the, let me tell you the truth of what this God is worth. It's worth that. It's worth muck. And then Exodus continues, Moses said to Aaron, like you were supposed to be leading this, brother, what did these people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord, this lowercase Lord, like Moses, don't let but your, your own anger, Moses, burn hot. You know the people and how they are set on evil. I love this. For they said to me, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him, which is true. But then Aaron says, so I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. That part's true as well. But then they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Another glimpse of my own childhood. I remember uh, being over at my Aunt Maureen's house one time. My parents were, were out. We were staying with Aunt Maureen, Uncle Keith, for a couple days, or a couple, yeah, I think a couple days. And I was out in the garage, and they had just a normal garage floor. They had a lot of stuff in their garage. And so I was coloring with a marker on, uh, on a table, and one of the markers fell onto the concrete floor, and it left a mark. I was like, oh, that's cool. So I picked up the marker, and on the concrete floor, I, I made another mark. And I was like, this is really cool. So probably no less than 40 minutes, I just sat on the garage floor just drawing circles. I was 19. It was cool. Um, no, no, no. Like, I was just a young kid. I was like, this is, this is awesome. Look at the awesome pattern. That can... So Aunt Maureen, she came out, and oh, she was angry. She said, what on earth are you doing? And I said, in all seriousness, it was an accident. <laughs> and that is a microcosm piece of what Aaron is saying here. I threw the gold into a fire. What do you know? Out came this cow. And a cow, for the record, is one of Egypt's most prominent gods. It's a god of fertility. It's a god of provision. And so what they're saying by deciding to, 
to craft this cow, this, this idol into the image of a cow is this is literally our provider. This is literally our chief God. So Aaron says it just happened. In this, Aaron breaks another command, which is thou shalt not lie. So it's just like the situation at the foot of the mountain in Israel is just getting worse and worse, or as they wander. And so then Moses leads out on a God-ordained justice campaign that is frankly really hard to read at first glance. This is Exodus 32, starting in verse 25. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to, to, to the derision of their enemies. They were being mocked from the nations around them. And Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let those people come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And then Moses said to them, thus says the Lord of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Is that hard to read? Does it mess with your concept of God? It does me a little bit. Talk to me. How might you explain what's going on here? How can God be good and this happen? Anything come to mind? He's purging the sin. God is a holy God. He calls his people to be a holy people. We saw back right before he gave the Ten Commandments, you're to be my nations of priests, you're to display and declare my goodness. Your lives are to be different. He's purging the sin. It's hard, but he's good. For, for context, this may help too. Um, whenever we come across something like this, it can help us to zoom out and, and see how this pattern fits the rest of the scriptures. Um, what is the wage for sin? Death. And that's literally quoted from Romans chapter three, but it's not just true in the New Testament. It's not just true in, in Paul's writings. That's been true from Genesis chapter one. Like going back to the start of the scriptures, God created this perfect world for Adam and Eve and he gave them just one or two rules. And he also gave them a promise that said, if you disobey these couple rules, you will die. What did Adam and Eve do? They immediately disobeyed. And they didn't die that day, but they did die. Sin entered the world and with it came death and eternal life was lost in that moment. Genesis 3 is what's called Adam and Eve's fall, the fall of man. And we inherit all of that. And Genesis 3 also shows us God's promised response. If you listen to me, to, to, sorry, if you listen to any other God but me, if you disobey, if you turn from me, that's going to lead to your demise and your death. And so one author claims that these chapters that we're in today, Exodus 32, is Israel's fall. This is Israel's demise. God says, don't have other gods. Don't make graven images. Don't lie. And Israel does all three in a short matter of time. 
And just like Adam and Eve, their sin leads to death. It's a more literal death. It's a more immediate death. And it may be harder for us to, to pallet because God used people as his agents of justice. But, but, but justice is the right word to read this passage through. We've got to see this as God's justice, his righteousness, his carrying through of his promise. Because we said that in these chapters, we'll see that God alone is worthy of worship. We also said that in these chapters, we'll see that rejecting God leads to death. And that's what's happening here. 3,000 people may seem like a lot, but way back in Exodus 12, we saw the numbers of folks that left Egypt. And so 3,000 people ends up being about literally 0.05% of Israel's male population. Not saying it's better because of that, but, but just by scale, it's a small amount. More important perhaps than that is that most commentators, most historians think that those who were killed were those who directly led others to sin. They were the folks who were collecting. They were the folks who were building. They were the folks saying, come and worship, and this is your God. And that brings us to another biblical theme, which is if you cause others to sin, the discipline toward you, the justice toward you is all the greater because you're not just doing it alone. You're bringing others in. But maybe most importantly, we got to see God gave them a chance to repent. Moses drew a line in the sand and said, if you're on the Lord's side, come. He gave them a chance. They chose not to, and so they faced God's promised justice. Y'all, Layla's right. Like God's holiness and God's justice, these are not popular realities today, but they are realities whether we like it or not. And if I can say this as a caution to my soul as well as yours, like to reject God's right to discipline his people for breaking his rules is something like making a God in our own image and making a God that conforms to what we think God should be or, or, or to tell God that he doesn't have the right to our ultimate obedience and allegiance is no different than turning to some other God in, in the first place. Then and now, rejecting God leads to death. So that's where we are. God is worthy of our worship Rejecting God leads to death. This has been God's design and his promise and his consistent truth through all of history from the Garden of Eden to 2022 in Fort Worth, Texas, and even in Exodus 32, God has been consistent. But there's also a final truth in these chapters that is also part of God's design and his promise and his consistent truth for all of history from the Garden of Eden to 2022 in Fort Worth and even in Exodus 32. And that is that for those who repent, God forgives sin and withholds death from those who turn to him. And you know how God has always done that? He's always done that through a mediator who he sends to restore life. Look down at verse 30 of Exodus 32. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make, what does it say? Atonement for your sin. Atonement's a big deal in the Bible. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, these people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. 
again, that should resonate poignantly with us as we look around our world today. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sins, if you will forgive their sins. But look what Moses says. If not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Did Moses make the calf? Moses was up on the mountain. But Moses was willing to die on behalf of God's wayward people. He says, blot me out of your book. Put me in their place. Let me go for their forgiveness. And God says no to Moses. But later God sends his son, Christ our Lord, who did die in our place. Who did take the sins of God's wayward people. In Exodus 33, it's a whole chapter that shows us Moses' work as a mediator. Moses dwells in a specific tent where the presence of God meets him and he leads God's people to dwell in God's presence wherever they go. This is how the writer of Exodus says that in Exodus 33, 15, it'll be on the screen. Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses is consistently keeping people in the presence of God. That's what a mediator does. His work here is also a foreshadow of Jesus, who is the fullness of Moses' posture here, because it's only Christ Jesus who dwells fully in the presence of God all the time and ushers us into God's presence all the time as well. In, in, in Exodus 33, we see Moses praying and interceding for God's people. Intercession is just simply praying on behalf of others. That's the same thing that Christ Jesus is doing right now for you and for me as he sits at the Father's right hand. This is how Paul says it in Romans. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who is raised, who is at the right hand of God. He is indeed interceding for us. Do you know Jesus is praying for you right now? He is. Isn't that amazing? Jesus prays for his people. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. In Exodus 34, Moses makes new tablets and he writes down God's law. He got so angry, he broke them as a symbol of your breaking God's law. In 34, he writes new tablets and writes God's law, makes new tablets and writes God's law on them. Later in the New Testament, we're told that through the Spirit, Jesus writes God's law on our own hearts, which is to say that by God dwelling in us, we know right from wrong, and by the Spirit living in us, we have the power to obey God's will and word. And finally, go read Exodus 34 if you haven't, because it ends with Moses having a face that shines with the glory of God. Jesus' face will shine even more brighter with the glory of God at his transfiguration. And then Paul will say later that in Christ, you see the fullness of God. And, And I could go on and on. These chapters are rich and full, but the point is that Jesus is the full and final mediator who alone 100% restores life. Moses is a temporary mediator between God and God's wayward people. Moses prays 
Moses makes atonement. We're about to see, if we were to continue in the Bible, that this whole sacrificial system is put together. And you know who's at the, at the front end of the first high priest who makes the first sacrifices? Aaron. What did Aaron do in this story? He led people to worship, but he led people to worship the false god. The fact that Aaron is Israel's first high priest, leading them to worship the rightful God is maybe one of the most beautiful pictures of redemption in the whole scripture. Yeah. 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 Why did he live? It's a great question. Yeah. It seems like so his, his tribe, he was from the tribe of, of what eventually became the Levites. And so if you remember, like when Moses said, hey, who's on God's side? It seems like Aaron was one of, and maybe not the only one. This is one of those, like, man, I wish the Bible would give us a little bit more details. Although if you did, it'd be a list of names, and those are the chapters we all skip over all the time. (laughs) Here are those who repented. It seems like Aaron was probably one who realized his sin and came over the line. And so he repented, and God spared him. And just like he does all of us for whatever our sin is, He goes, I'm not only just going to spare you, but kind of despise you over here. That's not what God does. He goes, I'm going to spare you, and I'm going to make you my high priest. It's a really beautiful picture of always available forgiveness if we just say yes. Moses is a temporary mediator. He prays, he makes atonement, he restores life. But Jesus, Jesus is the full and final mediator between God and his wayward people. Moses makes offerings. Jesus was the one-time full and final offering. Moses restored life while people deserve death. But what eventually happened to those people? Because we all said they, they still died. Aaron eventually did die for his sin, just like we will. But in Jesus alone is eternal life. So, so here, here's what I'm just trying to draw out for us. So much of these chapters, and we're only scratching the surface tonight, but so much of these chapters foreshadow Jesus. God alone is worthy of worship. Rejecting God leads to death, but God sends a mediator who alone can restore life. And so Moses is a partial picture of this mediator. His sacrifices brought partial temporary atonement, but Christ Jesus is our full mediator and our full atonement. And then you know how God responds to Moses and even more fully through Jesus? Let's give you a snapshot of a couple of verses that'll be on the screen. Exodus 32, 34, God says, go to Moses, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. This is the promised land. He's saying, you sin, you deserve death, but I'm I'm telling you, no, go. Go into the promised land and my angel, my messenger will go before you. 33.16, how is it, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us, Moses says to God, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And then in chapter 34, behold, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, says the Lord, such as have never been created in the earth or in any nation, all the people among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing I will do with you. And then finally, the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 34, 27, write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you 
and with Israel. How does God respond to the mediating work of Moses? God keeps his promises. God shows grace. God brings those who will repent home with him into the promised land. So you guys, on, on this Father's Day, on this hot summer day in Fort Worth, here's what you need to see is that for all of Israel's disobedience, fast forward 2,000 years, for all our disobedience too, for all of God's justice on behalf of their sin, fast forward and also on ours. For, for Israel's need for atonement and forgiveness, fast forward also ours. God renewed his covenant. God led his people into the promised land and God restored his people to a right relationship with himself. So there's some hard chapters, but at the end what we see is that God is still a good father to his sons and his daughters. This is what we declare in communion. So if you want to take bread, if you need uh, gluten-free or individually wrapped bread and uh, uh, juice-ish, it'll be over here on this black cloth table over here. But if you want to take the bread, just hold it for a minute before you dip it. There's wine, it's red. There's juice, it's not red. We are like Israel. We sin, we worship idols, we turn from God, we put our hope in people and things. We deserve death. And yet, like Israel... God loves us and God pursues us in disobedience and God gives us the chance to repent and God sends an even greater meteor, mediator. Mediator's coming next, but mediator for now. God sends an even greater mediator and intercessor and atoning sacrifice. So take the bread. This is Christ's body broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice. This is his blood shed for you. And it's through this and this alone that God's mediator restores our life. Amen? take and eat. And as you eat, let me pray. Father God, we do thank you that you and you alone have made a way that there's still a line in the sand for us to cross. And when we can't do it, God, you pull us across. And when we are weighed down by the things that we've done, that you remind us of who we are, not because of what we deserve, but because of you. I thank you even for the question Layla asked that, that even though your, your servant Aaron sinned greatly and caused other to, others to, that like Paul and like many of us and like every other human on earth, no matter what our sin is, we're not beyond your reach. We're not beyond forgiveness. I pray that you remind us of this today and every day. Would you help make us holy as your law is written in our hearts? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to sing a couple songs as is our tradition as a response. Uh, but before we do, I want us to do one more thing today. Um, I want us to pray. Uh, and specifically, I want us to pray for others. We, we saw Moses do this in the text. Um, prayer is something we talk about. Praying for others is something we talk about. But this reminds us part of, of why it is that God's people pray for others. Um, as I was prepping this week, one author brought out the idea that Moses could have stood aside and done nothing. In fact, in Exodus 32, God even comes back to Moses and says, hey, I'll blot everyone else out and I'll start over with you, kind of like he did with Noah. And maybe that was appealing to Moses, but instead Moses prayed for God's people and he prayed for those who were in sin. 
And we saw last week and we've seen through Exodus that we are God's priests and we're the dwelling place of the Spirit. And so we, like Moses and like Aaron, like others, we now have the honor and privilege of interceding for the people around us. And so there's this slide up here with some, not all, but just if you need a prompt, some different ways to pray for people. And so maybe just ask God if someone specific comes to mind or feel free to pray for yourself too if you're struggling with something, but maybe specifically pray for someone else. A lot of good prayers based on here's a human situation, but here's a character or truth of promise of who God is. So maybe it's someone who's having a hard time and you just want to pray God's compassion and mercy or someone striving, never feeling like they can attain, just that, that God's grace would show up. Or someone who rebels, is rebelling, pray that God would be slow to anger. For those who are unfaithful, that God, they would feel God's love. For those who are guilty, they would feel God's forgiveness, receive God's forgiveness. For those who are oppressed, pray for God's justice. For those who are wayward, pray for God's salvation or whatever else it may be. But let's just spend a few minutes praying alone in a journal on the sheets of paper if you want or out loud and with your table and then we're going to start singing. And the first song is a song that speaks to who God is because he is indeed a good, good father. So let's pray for a little bit and then we'll sing in response to today's truth.